Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. It is a privilege that God has given to each of us to live this day, and it is a responsibility that God gives to each of us to live for him and for each other today. So I welcome you, whether you are visiting here in person, whether you are worshiping online, whether you're worshiping maybe days and days and days from now, we still are all worshiping God. As we come to worship, it gives me incredible pleasure. You just don't know how happy this makes me to tell you that today, for the first time in two years, we are allowed to sing in this worship service. So, the folks behind me have been singing for a while, but in Presbyterian parlance, we actually call the choir the auxiliary choir because their job is to lead us because we're all the choir singing praise to God. So when that moment comes, I want to make sure that God hears us, okay? Let's be called together to worship then as we read responsively these words from the 147th Psalm. Praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God, for he is gracious and a song of praise is fitting. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He turns the number of stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. Friends, let us worship God. Please be seated. Even with that sound, the Lord hears our prayers. We offer our tongues, our voices, our hearts, our lives to the Lord, whose presence 
we are in, who is with us by his immense mercies and grace. In one voice and in one heart, let us confess our sins to God. Almighty God, in love you made us and the world in which we live. You sustain our lives in every moment by your redeeming power, yet we fail to acknowledge your attention. We abuse your good gifts of creation. We focus on the little we do not have and are blind to the much that fills our lives every day. We expend our energy trying to get for ourselves rather than give for the good of others. But still you are generous with your love and extravagant with your forgiveness. Heal us and set us free from our self-worship that we might find our true freedom in following you and then make us again into worthy servants who work with you in healing your whole creation. In Christ we pray. Amen. Friends and sisters and brothers in Christ, people of God, hear and receive, believe and trust in the good news of God in Jesus Christ once again. That God so loved the world that he gave his son Jesus Christ for the life of the world. In his life, in his death, in his resurrection, we are set free to love God and to love one another. Thanks be to God. Alleluia. Amen. May the peace of Jesus Christ be with you. God has given us peace with him and with one another. Therefore, let us share signs of God's love and peace with one another with passion, with fervency, just like March Madness in the Final Four. Do so now, right now. Don't stop. Let's do it. So those of you who have some experience with musical instruments like organs recognize the fact that the organ suffered what we call a cipher. One of the stops stayed open even though Susie had closed it. That's why that sound continued. But there's actually a deeper meaning to that bill. Do you want to know what that deeper meaning is? Of course you do. Yes, yes. You see, the organ itself has been silenced for so long, and even though it's been playing a little bit, it wanted to keep singing, too. I'm sure there's some scripture somewhere that will support that conclusion. <laughs> Friends, of course, music is such a big part of the life of the church and the life of faith, and we are looking forward next Sunday at 4 o'clock here in the sanctuary to a celebration of the Duke Ellington Sacred Jazz Concert. Duke Ellington was not only one of the great writers and performers of jazz music, he was a committed Christian who often shared his work in churches and shared the love of Jesus. And next Sunday here at 4 o'clock, this choir joined by others as well as they will be joined by members of the Rancho Santa Fe Big Band. So there's going to be a lot of brass as well. 
will be performing that jazz concert. Because our contracts and arrangements for this music were made many months ago, we must continue to observe what we now call, I call at least, the old-fashioned protocols of requiring your vaccination and proof thereof, as well as requiring that you wear masks during the performance. But pray to God that will be the last time that we ever have to do that here. Don't let that keep you away from celebrating this amazing music next Sunday at 4. Next Sunday as well, we're going to take your blood via the assistance of the Red Cross Blood Mobile. If you'd like to contribute blood, uh, we will ask you to sign up, make your appointment through emailing Allison Noon, whose address has been on our emails to you this past week and will continue to be this coming week. A couple of weeks from yesterday, April 9th, we'll celebrate our annual Easter gathering called the Extravaganza. There will be Easter eggs, there will be eggs to eat, and there will be a retelling of the Easter story designed especially to incorporate our younger members of the church, but everyone is invited to come read about that in your bulletin insert. I'm happy to report that we continue to receive the special offering to support war relief in Ukraine and in the countries surrounding Ukraine that are particularly involved with refugee relief. This past week, we were able to send a check for over $89,000 through the work of the Outreach Foundation. And I know that your giving continues, so please feel free to continue giving to that special and worthy effort. I don't need to tell you more about why that is needed, but we are privileged to be able to participate in this direct way of offering our support and encouragement there. On a happy note, let me mention that the flowers this morning in worship with us celebrate the 70th, that's seven zero, Steve, that's seven decades of marriage of Dick and Billy Deal. We got to celebrate that Thursday night with them, so Dick and Billy, happy anniversary. If you knew Billy, you would understand why that marriage has lasted so long. God bless you, my child. <laughs> Finally, let me say a word of special welcome to my dear friend, Marilyn Borst. You've been reading about Marilyn in my email, so I will not go on at length, but Marilyn will be uh, filling the pulpit this morning. Marilyn is our Associate Director for Partnership Development of the Outreach Foundation. We are privileged to be part of that work in its sharing the gospel of Christ and partnering with churches all around the world. We've been doing that for many, many years. After this service, Marilyn will greet you at the door if you would like to uh, greet her there, but then we'll be coming back into the sanctuary, and Marilyn will be sharing more stories, photographs, and having a chance to answer your questions about the work of the Outreach Foundation. So go outside, grab a quick cup of coffee, some donut holes, and come right back in to learn more about that special work. So Marilyn, it's a joy to have you here, my dear. She's going to tell you more stories, some of which, let me just tell you right now, are not to be believed. There we are. God gives us so many blessings, and he gives us as well the blessing of offering back to him and to his work as we share the love of Christ. So now we will take a moment as the choir is singing, as we are hearing some beautiful music, we will take a moment to bring our offerings to God here at the basket or in other ways appropriate throughout the week to give to God. If you're not able to come forward, we have an offering basket at the back, so we'll get you coming and going either way. Let's give to God.
Will you please join me as we come together in prayer to lift our prayers and our praises to the Lord. Merciful God, we sit in beauty and comfort this morning, giving thanks and praise as well we should for your abundant grace and ever-present spirit. Guide us, Lord, as we pray. Some of your people come in prayer, anxious and hurting. Marriage is struggling. Parenting pressing upon us with skills needed we do not seem to have. Financial worries as we watch oil prices still hover so high. Investments seem shaky and our weariness overtakes us at times. But you, O oh Lord, assure us that you are present. You tell us do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let us make our request known to you, God. And you promise the peace which surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So we lift our prayers. Prayers for your people in our hearts and in the world. Lord, we pray for the continued recovery of Joanne and for the successful surgery for Michael. We lift up Bill in these days before you call him home. Bring to him and to his family your peace. Peace you give us, fill us afresh. Me with Bob and his upcoming surgery and all others in need of medical care. Lord God, we pray for Ukraine, for their strong leadership and resolve. Bless the funds that are going to support the people through outreach. Protect those who resist evil. Lord, we are mindful for needs in other places and of your parable to us, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. May this, Lord God, these words spoken by your son be our mantra and our action. We lift up Lebanon, cut off from food sources because of the war in Ukraine. They are hungry, isolated, and in great need. Let us remember them daily in our prayers. We pray for the churches they are ministering to so many, and we lift up her sister country, Syria, and ask for peace. Put your spirit afresh in Marilyn as she brings the word this morning. Let her be more than a good word spoken, but a compelling call to go out into the world for your sake, Jesus. In the season of Lent, let us take off those items and things that restrain us from obedience to you. As Jesus walked towards the cross, let us follow. We ask these things in Jesus' name, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
because I want to make a little bit of an introduction before we look at our passage for today. Family of God, um, greetings to you. Um, as Jack said, I'm with the Outreach Foundation, but I'm also rooted in time and place. My husband and I live in beautiful Savannah, Georgia, on the exact opposite side of the country, uh, next to another beautiful ocean called the Atlantic. Perhaps you've heard of it. Um, so there is a lot of distance between us, and yet there is much that ties us together because we find our unity at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ and that is true not only for Presbyterians on one coast with Presbyterians on the other but literally with the church around the world and it is that church around the world that Outreach Foundation has been privileged to be called into partnership with to both give to as well as learn from the global church. And that is kind of at the core of the message that I will bring today, but I want to begin with a profound word of thanks because that partnership between the Outreach Foundation and the global church only happens because of another partnership and that is the partnership that we have with congregations like this one around the world. And one of the ways in which Outreach Foundation lives out that call to be in partnership with the global church is to, whenever possible, to show up, to be present with them incarnationally in the same way that Christ chose to save this world incarnationally. He didn't have to do that. He could have done that from afar, but he chose to walk in our footsteps in our darkness. And so in some small ways, this is one of the motivations for the Outreach Foundation to show up around the world. And because of the work that I do in the Middle East and in Cuba, my part of the Outreach uh, Outreach Foundation portfolio, we might say, um, I've had the privilege to go to many parts of the Middle East fairly frequently and often in company with your pastor, Jack Baca. And, um, and I have many stories that I can tell. He already seems to have set the stage saying, don't believe everything I say. I think it's because he feared a little bit what I might share with you, as I did at the first service. Um, but I'm not going to tell those same stories. I got a lot of them because Jack and I have been multiple times together, as you may know, to places like Syria and Lebanon, even more um, in recent years to Iraq. But the story that I'm inspired by is actually brought to my mind because of the choir behind me, because many of you probably know Jack loves to sing. And when I travel with a group to the Outreach Foundation, with, and I know that we're going to be present in worship somewhere, I know it is not uncommon for the pastor to say maybe a few minutes before the worship starts, will your group sing something for us? And so I've learned to kind of prepare myself for that. And one of these trips, we were on our way to Damascus. We were going to worship in the Presbyterian Church in Damascus, where the pastor, Reverend Boutros Zaur, has actually been in this pulpit in this place. Boutros has been a guest of this church. And so I had prepared my group, I thought, by bringing along something that we could sing beautifully, and it was holy, holy, holy. Beautiful harmonization, easy four parts, and of course a beautiful descant if you can pull that off with a ragtag group of people that you have on the road. That was not my aspiration, but thinking we could pull this off. The challenge, however, was that I had a group of eight men and two women, and both of the women were second altos, and then, <laughs> then I had a group of kind of prima donna pastor men, 
And so I thought, wow, how are we going to pull this off so quickly? I said to my friend Julie, who is a second alto, I said, you're going to have to sing soprano. I'm going to pick up the alto. And Jack, today and today only, you will be a boy tenor. And so <laughs> Jack, Jack was our boy tenor. When I listened to the recording of it later, I have to confess that many of us oversang our parts because we were trying to balance off the tenor and the basses. But all in all, I think God knit it together with a blessing. And in fact, we put it on Facebook and it's had like 5,000 hits. So I think that tells us something. But the truth be told, when God calls you out into the world, a good way to answer is, here I am, Lord, send me despite that. And that was true for the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul has much to say about how we need to be present to one another. And the passage, which I will have you stand in just a minute to read, I want to set up for you as you hear these words. Because when Paul writes, almost always Paul is writing to a familiar audience. He's writing to a church that he has founded, such in, as in Ephesus. He's writing to someone who's been a colleague in ministry, like Timothy. But when he writes to the church in Rome, he writes aspirationally because he has not yet been there, but he knows them. He's made it his business to know the state of the church, and he yearns to be with them. So friends, I would invite you to stand and hear these words from the Apostle Paul as he writes to the church in Rome, opening the letter with these words, he says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed throughout the world. For God, whom I serve with my spirit by announcing the gospel of his son, is my witness that without ceasing, I remember you always in my prayer, asking that by God's will, I may somehow at last succeed in coming to you. For I am longing to see you, says Paul, that I may share with you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Mutually encouraged by one another's faith. The subtext of this message is lessons that we need to learn from the global church, why the global church needs us, and why we need the global church. Our understanding of mission at this day and age comes much closer to the words of the Apostle Paul that mission is not something we go out and do for someone, but rather that mission is about mutuality. God calls us into relationships so that we can be mutually encouraged, inspiring one another, teaching one another of what it has meant to walk the walk of faith, following Christ out into the world. So as my travels are pretty extensive, I'm usually on the road between four and six times a year um, globally, not to mention visiting with congregations, but it is in those global encounters, sometime and fairly far flung, um, and not always the garden spots of the world, um, where I have had the privilege to go to meet the church in places like Iran, 
in places like even North Korea and Pakistan, I have found that the church sometimes in the darkest places has the most to teach us. And so part of that equation, the lessons that we have to learn from the global church, I have narrowed that down because time is of the essence to three of the most important ones why we need the global church, and I'll begin with this one. They model to us perseverance. They model to us perseverance. Perseverance is another one of the wonderful theological teachings of the Apostle Paul as he talks about on many different occasions what it means to be a faithful follower of Christ over a long period of time. But for Paul, it's not just a faithfulness in the same direction as Eugene Peterson would say, over a long period of time. It is a faithfulness that often has to endure difficulty. As when he writes to the church in Rome a little bit later saying, we rejoice in our suffering because suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. The global church teaches us what it means to be persevering. And there are many examples that I could share with you. One of the ones that always comes to mind is the image of a Chinese pastor who was about this tall. Her name was Reverend Wu, and when I met her in northeastern China in 2007, she was probably 83 years old. But she was still actively serving because when there is only one pastor for every 10,000 believers, retirement is not an option. You just keep pastoring until Christ calls you home. We were with Reverend U because we were actually on our way to meet the church in North Korea, which is a whole nother story that I don't have time to share and would love to come back and do that at this point. But would, for the sake of our beloved friend Neil Pressa, would say that that journey happened because Insit Kim and Sigmund Rhee, two of the great heroes of our Presbyterian church, took me by the hand and said, come, we will go meet the church in North Korea. But before we could get into North Korea, which as you can imagine is a fairly complex affair to get the necessary permissions to do that, we had some days to spend in northeastern China. And so it was in that context that we used our time wisely to have a conversation with Reverend Wu. Reverend Wu, we knew, had lived over such a long period of time, 80 decades or eight decades at that point, that that we knew that her story of what had happened with Christians, the ups and the downs of the church, would be an inspiring one to hear. And so over a number of hours, we let Reverend Wu tell her story, which in brief was this, that she had been born in the 1920s in China. She said there were 7,000 missionaries conservatively in China at that time. And on every corner, it seemed, a church was being built, a hospital was going up, a Christian school was being opened. It was like the Holy Spirit was out of control in China. But things changed dramatically, she said, not many years later in 1948 with the coming of the Communist Revolution. And as the Communist Revolution was inaugurated in China, most of the leaders of the church fled knowing that communism would not smile benevolently upon the church. She said, we struggled along, the few of us that were there to lead, to make our way forward. We thought we had found um, our, our way of doing that, that it couldn't get any worse, but it did. 
because just a few less than two decades later in 1966 came the Cultural Revolution, where Mao Zedong doubled down on communist ideology and said anything that is not part of communist teaching needs to be eliminated, eradicated from Chinese life. And so great works of literature, books were taken out of the libraries and burned in the streets. Cultural artifacts, art and architecture destroyed so that only the focus was upon communism. Reverend Wu said the way that we did church was to gather quietly together and we would recite back to one another the scripture that we had memorized in Sunday school and to sing back to one another the hymns that we knew by faith. Our Bibles were gone, our hymnals were gone, what was embedded in our heart became that living word. Well, the Spirit was not done in China because he who began a good work in them would bring it to completion. And over the years, the fortunes of the church would begin to reverse, and Reverend Wu was an example of that. As I said, now the church had rebuilt itself, and Reverend Wu now at 83 would see this huge resurgence of the church. But more than that for us was the reminder that God had used that because there were people like Reverend Wu who modeled perseverance. We need the church to bring that back to us. A second thing I've learned from my encounters with the global church is we need the global church because it allows us to suffer by proxy. Stick with me on this. It allows us to suffer by proxy. Going back into the, the, the epistle to the Romans later on in the eighth chapter, Paul has a very disturbing verse where he first of all begins talking about if we are heirs of God, then we are co-heirs of Christ. But here comes the if. If, says Paul, we share in Christ's suffering so that we may share in his glory. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm all about the sharing in the glory of Christ, but sharing with the suffering, not so sure I want to buy into that. But Paul is very clear. And remember that Paul is writing first and foremost to the church. So he's saying to the church, if you are going to share in the glory of Christ, you had better be sharing in his suffering. That always was a disturbing passage to me, thinking, well, what does that mean if you are not the church that has been called to suffer? How do we do that? And thankfully, that was illuminated to me coming out of the mouth of a pastor who served the suffering church in Palestine, who stood in our pulpit of First Presbyterian Church Houston when I was on staff there many years ago. And he looked out at that well-heeled congregation, not unlike the one I'm looking at here, and said, if you are not the church that has been called to suffer, go find the church that is suffering and stand with it. Go find the church that is suffering and stand with it. When we stand with the church in difficult places, we participate in that suffering. As Jan so eloquently prayed for the situation in Ukraine and for the, for the countries surrounding Ukraine um, Outreach Foundation, thanks to generous gifts from congregations like yours, 
has been able to quickly stand with the church in hard places. And one of those is in the city of Lviv, which is, of course, often in the news because it is the big city right near the border, closest to the border with Poland. And in that church, one of my colleagues, Tom Boone, has a friend, has a pastor, who, as the war broke out, was immediately in touch with Father Ola, was his name. Father Ola is a priest in the Ukrainian Catholic Church, which is not the Roman Catholic Church, it's the Greek Catholic Church, which means that the Greek Catholic Church, by the way, allows their priests to marry. So Father Ola, as this war broke out, had not only a congregation to care for, but had a wife, a father with Alzheimer's, and four children under the age of 14. As the war got worse and worse, like many of the men that you've seen on the news, they sent their families out to stay behind, and Father Ola was no exception. He sent his family out, but to stay with his church and the other priests in his church, to tend to those who were fleeing, often with nothing in hand, often with huge medical problems, with traumatic emotional fears to be the church in a difficult place. Outreach Foundation came alongside Father Ola almost immediately so that they could be the hands and feet of Christ in this difficult situation in that small way to stand with the church that is suffering. We need them in those difficult places. The third lesson I would share with you that I have learned about why we need the global church is this one, that they are quite simply on the forefront of the gospel where the gospel needs to be heard, places we can't go, places where even if we could go there culturally, linguistically, we are not effective. We need the church in those places to make Christ known. And I think of the church in Lebanon, our Presbyterian family that Jack has met on many occasions that your church has supported through gifts to the National Evangelical Synod of Syria and Lebanon, our Presbyterian family there who as the war raged in Syria, the churches in Lebanon, a small footprint of churches, 20 congregations found themselves overwhelmed with the reality of a country that was receiving 1.2 million Syrian refugees in a country of only 4 million people the size of Connecticut. It was overwhelming. It continues to be overwhelming for Lebanon, even now, in particularly in their economic and government collapse. But the church, the Presbyterian church, as all churches need to do, asks the question, what is God calling us to do? It is an overwhelming situation. We don't have resources, but what are the gifts that God has put in our hands? And very quickly, they came to the realization that one of the things the church knew how to do was they knew how to run schools. The Synod of Syria-Lebanon had been running state-of-the-art schools for 150 years. They had inherited them from the missionaries. They said, we can do education. So the Synod began to open schools specifically for Syrian refugee children coming into Lebanon, knowing that they came with a bucket of complexities, not only emotional trauma of fleeing from war, but for many of these little children, they had never had education. Their schools had not opened opened in Syria during the war. So how to take each of those children 
pour into them the love of Christ, most of them, 99% of them Muslim children, to present to them in the most appropriate way a God who loved them and a savior who was there for them. They were on the front line of the gospel in ways that we could not be. We need the global church because they are extending Christ's kingdom. But it's a two-way street, as Paul reminds us, to be mutually encouraged by one another's faith means that we need to be conscious of the way that God calls us into that partnership for his church around the world. And one of the ones, one of the ways that we mutually encourage the church is not a surprising one. It is with the resources that we have to deploy for kingdom purposes. We have them in abundance. And when we give of them generously, as you have just done for the Ukrainians, as Jan talked about, as, as Jack talked about, we are a blessing to the church in that way, deploying those resources in ways that bring hope and healing to the church that may have the skills to serve and do ministry, but not the resources. And I've shared with you one of those examples. A second reason why we can be a blessing to the church is the extent to which we can be grateful receivers of the non-material gifts that the global church gives to us. We may be dispensing financial resources, but the global church can give to us if we open our hands and extend our arms incredible lessons of faith and faithfulness that is hard to learn anyplace else. Right now, Outreach Foundation has a team in Pakistan, in fact, including several other members of our board. Jack, as you may know, is the chairman of our board of directors. But in uh, Pakistan right now, we have, I think, three members of the board of directors, along with some other people. Standing with the church in a place in Pakistan, one of the most difficult places to be a Christian anywhere in the world, always makes the top 10 list for the global watch list for the persecuted church, a dubious distinction. But it's in that place that the church has been enormously faithful and we can learn and receive those gifts of faithfulness. Many years ago when I made my first trip to Pakistan in 2003, an, an incredible thing had just happened that the church was celebrating. 30 years before that, in the 1970s, a very hardline Islamic government in Pakistan had confiscated, had nationalized, they called it, all of the Christian institutions in Pakistan, had taken their hospitals, had taken their schools, had taken Foreman Christian College, their one institution of higher learning, and had taken it over, thrown the Christians out. And in, 19, in 2003, miraculously, those schools were returned to the church in terrible shape, but they were returned. And as I traveled to Pakistan and I talked to Christians there, this phrase kept coming up again and again. We prayed for 30 years for this to happen. We prayed for 30 years, and I didn't think much about it at the time, but later it would kind of dawn on me, what does it mean to pray for 30 years? Who prays for 30 years and still trusts that God is going to bring something to fruition? I know I don't. 
It's hard for us to think about praying for three weeks for something, for 30 minutes for something. The church in Pakistan had prayed faithfully for 30 years that God would heal the situation, and he did. We need the global church because they can show us an incredible faithfulness that can both inspire and even reset what it means to be a faithful disciple of Christ. And the last thing that I would share with you also may seem like a very obvious thing, but it is an important thing. The, one of the other reasons why the global church needs us is because we can show up to them when they cannot come to us. We have this magic ticket to the world. It's called an American passport. And if you set your mind to it and you know the right people and you can maneuver and move around, that American passport can get you anywhere in the world you set your mind to. It's gotten me into places like North Korea. Yes, you can go to North Korea. That American passport gives us access to the world. Our resources give us the financial um, ability to show up to the global church in incredibly meaningful ways when they can't come to us and in doing so to model that incarnation of what it means to be the church sharing for even a brief period of time our understanding of the faithful walk of Christ. I said I would share with you three things, but I'm actually going to give you a bonus today and today only of another reason why we need the global church, and it's this one, to encounter the global church in its context means you never end up reading scripture in the same way. As I discovered when I would come home and I would open the book of Corinthians and I would read passages like this, once again, the Apostle Paul, talking about the church, we are hard-pressed but not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair. We are persecuted but not abandoned. We are struck down but not destroyed. Friends, he didn't write that to the Village Community Presbyterian Church. He didn't write that to First Presbyterian Church of Savannah. He didn't write that to Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Atlanta, where I served for many years. He wrote that to the church in Pakistan. He wrote that to the church in Syria, and now he is writing that to the church in Ukraine. We need that church because we can hear and see God's word in incredible ways. And I'll end with this, of one of the lessons from that church in Ukraine, as was shared with us through my colleague Tom Boone, who has known the pastor in this church, Father Ola, for many years, and found out that as everybody left Lviv, the priest stayed behind, as I said, to be hope and healing, to minister to people that were fleeing, and discovered that Father Ola and his fellow priests and other brave volunteers had formed an organization to serve that went by the name Blaho Slovenia. Blaho Slovenia. Here's your Ukrainian word for today. It means blessing. They formed a group called Blessing to stay in that difficult place. So dear people of God, dear family that is the Village Community Presbyterian Church, may you find ever more challenging ways to be Blaho Slovenia to the world, till every knee bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord 
because he is. Amen. Marilyn, thank you for bringing God's word. Thank you. Will you please join me now as we affirm our faith with the affirmation of faith as written in the bulletin. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him to receive a gift in return? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. surrounded by the grace of God, your heart is filled with the love of Jesus Christ, and you have the unbeatable power of the Holy Spirit. So go from this place to be blessing, to be Blaho Slovenia. Amen. Amen.